Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Well, hey, again, we're really excited uh, that you chose to join us today, and uh, today, not only are we celebrating uh, Mother's and, and Mother's Day and all that good stuff, but uh, we are actually wrapping up this series that we've been in for the past few weeks as well. Uh, we've called the series Living in the Future, and uh, it's been a lot of fun, at least for me. I don't know uh, if you've felt or experienced this, but I feel like, maybe because I'm just looking for material to make you laugh right here at the beginning, but I feel like as I've been going through my days the past few weeks, I've been tr- like more mindful of how futuristic our world really is. Like, we are truly living in the future. Not in any, like, I'm not mindful of it in, like, any spiritually significant way, just kind of, like, all the little things that happen in life that stand out to me. Like, I realized uh, this past week I was having breakfast with my daughter, and we were sitting at the dining room table, and she asked me uh, if she could sing some Barney songs. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. I sang Barney as a kid. Like, my mom watches uh, Eden, my daughter, during the week, and so I'm like, way to go, Mom. You're, like, passing it on the love of Barney. She's probably watching the VHS tapes. But at my house, we weren't breaking out the VHS or anything. Eden just turns and goes, Alexa, play like peanut butter jelly or whatever. And it's like, there's Barney singing. And I just have this moment where I'm like, man, like I am living in the future because me to Barney the dinosaur is like Eden to Alexa. You know what I mean? That's weird to me. Like, I don't know. I get the wholesome dinosaur thing. I'm like, it's a voiceless robot thing. And, and, like, parents, if you know, like, once they figure out how to do that, they have unlimited power at their hands. Like, <laughs> lock down the shopping side of Alexa, right? Because who knows what's going to show up at your house. Um, but anyway, talking about living in the future, I was thinking about the amazingness that is Amazon shopping this weekend as well. And uh, I truly felt like, what a time to be alive. Because I w- here's the thing. We moved to this community last fall, around September. And uh, our TV at our previous house was mounted on the wall. I haven't figured out where I want it yet. And so for the past, what, six months or so, maybe longer than that, my TV has just been kind of sitting off to the side. And so for some reason, I had this burst of energy on Friday. I was like, today's the day. I'm going to like get out a screwdriver and put the little legs on the TV and lift it up. It took a whole of five minutes. So (laughs) six months later, I'm like, what have I been waiting for? But I I put it on there and I lifted it up and then we've got a little sound bar. So I put that in place and I went back to the couch and the remote wasn't working. And I was like, oh no, because the little like infrared thing that makes the remote work, it was behind the sound bar because of the way that it's all sitting. And I was like, oh no, what am I gonna do? And then I realized I have like power at my fingertips. I pulled out my phone and in like a matter of a minute or two, I searched like infrared extender. And what do you know, Amazon had it. There it was, it's like nine bucks and it was on Prime so I could have it by this weekend. And so I was like, boom, done. And there it is, what a time to be alive, right? I saw my dad for like decades sit there with the remote like this. Right? I think it's why he's got such big biceps, because he's always like, but like, for me, I can stay scrawny and uh, shrimpy and comfortable, thanks to the wonder of Amazon and modern technology. So anyway, it's a crazy thing. And on a more mind-blowing note, uh, I was scrolling through social media this week, like you do, and looking at puppy videos and whatever, like you do, and and then suddenly I scrolled past this uh, from Popular Mechanics. It was this article, and just kind of the absurdity of what this is really stood out to me in this series. It says, a Dyson sphere could bring humans back from the dead, researchers say. This cosmic megastructure may be the key to resurrection and immortality. And like, look at that picture. 
I was like, is this an ad for Doctor Strange or like real life? Like, this is popular mechanics, not a sci-fi novel. This is like a thing people are talking about. And I read the article, I didn't understand half of it, and I don't think it's happening anytime soon. But like, I was just like, what in the world is happening? We're talking about things like resurrection and immortality. And in this series, we're not talking about that kind of future. Okay, we're not talking about technology. We're not talking about that kind of resurrection or whatever Russia's up to. Read the article if you want. Uh, but rather, what we've been talking about throughout this series, when we're talking about living in the future, we've been talking about the aftermath of Easter. That, that on Easter Sunday, we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. But Jesus' resurrection was never intended to just be this one-time event that we gather around once a year and celebrate and go like, yeah, Jesus, way to go, and then move on with our lives. But Easter was meant to change everything for everyone. That, that because of Easter, Jesus' followers are actually called to live God's future out in our present context, in our present moment. And, and to understand what I mean by that, it, it all kind of hinges on an understanding of what God's future really means. And, and what we've said, uh, even in a past series just a few weeks back, we talked about how the end of the story, uh, of the story of God, it, it's not about us just like ascending to disembodied heaven to wear white robes and hold harps and sing hallelujah over and over again for eternity. But rather, if you read the story of scripture, the, the God, God's future for us, the end of the story for us, actually wraps up with a brand new heavens and a brand new earth, with everything redeemed and restored and God dwelling with people again. And what Easter means, what we've been trying to talk about through this series, is that we get to be a taste of that right here and right now. That we actually get to bring a taste of what God will ultimately make true in the end, right here and right now, where we work and where we live and where we play. And this is a crazy idea. But on week one, we talked about how if we want to like step into all of that, first we have to be willing to let go of some of the things we carry with us from our past. That all of us along the way have picked up pain and that pain can turn into resentment and that resentment can actually hold us back from stepping into the future God wants for us. So we said that releasing the resentments from the past is the only way that we can step into God's future. And we talked about doing that through both practicing and receiving forgiveness that when we forgive others and when we understand how much we've been forgiven, we can actually let go of the baggage that we carry and instead allow God to do something new in us and through us. And then last week we talked about that reality of God doing something new in us, that often uh, living in God's future starts with God remaking our inner world, that Jesus actually remakes us from the inside out. And so we talked about the temptation that all of us can have to just kind of fall into the rut of the way things are around us to fall into the rut of going with the flow of our culture or our world or whatever you want to say, instead of allowing God to transform us from the inside out. And, and so we shared uh, this list of nine attributes known as the fruit of the Spirit and kind of threw out a challenge to say, like, what if for the next few weeks or even throughout the whole summer, you picked one of those attributes and, and you focused on it and you let uh, your mind be renewed by focusing on that attribute and let God actually change you from the inside out. I think it could be a powerful thing if we all chose to actually engage in it in that way. But Today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about kind of the outward part of living in the future. We're going to talk about the mission of the church and how Jesus actually wants to use us to remake the world around us. So no pressure. It's kind of a tall order. And in fact, I love the way uh, that uh, David Bosch, an author, put this. He's talking about the mission of the church, and he says the central theme of our missionary message is that Christ is risen, and that secondly and consequently, the church is called to live the resurrection life in the here and now and to be a sign of contradiction against the forces of death and destruction. 
again, no pressure, right? It's just this like cosmic thing we're talking about here. But he's saying that like, man, because of Easter, Christians, Jesus followers, have access to this resurrection power that can operate in us and through us, and we're meant to be this taste of what God wants to do in the whole world, that we're meant to be this, this contradiction to the way that things are in our world. We're supposed to be this example that death and destruction don't get the final word, but that there is hope, there is life, there is possibility uh, and when we follow Jesus. And that is exactly what started to happen following the very first Easter. Jesus' followers didn't just like say, way to go Jesus, and then go back to their old way of living, but rather they launched this movement that we now know as the church. It changed everything about their lives. It's what they ultimately gave their lives to. And what we've said throughout this series is that really the same should be true for us. That if this is all true, it should change everything about us. That we're invited to participate with God in the remaking of this world. But unfortunately, that's often not the case. That if you actually look at Jesus followers uh, today in our world, sometimes it's hard to tell who's a Jesus follower and who's not. Right? It's supposed to be this contradiction, this different example of the way that things could be, but if you look at some of the statistics, I'm not going to bombard you with them today, but if you look at statistics on marriage and divorce or addictions or any of the things that people can kind of get hung up in and stuck on, they're really not that different between those who profess to be Jesus followers and those who say they have no faith at all. Typically, the percentages are like maybe within one or two percent of one another that people struggle with these issues in the same way, and that doesn't seem to make sense on the surface, does it? Like, the, the people who are called to be different actually look very much the same. And if you were to, like, go to the grocery store or a football game or work or school or, or wherever, like there's probably no obvious way that you could identify who's a Jesus follower and who's not. Right? There's no outward action that you could see and be like, oh, yeah, that's a Jesus person. And just sidebar, like, I don't recommend doing that wherever you go because... Like, we're called to be different, but not obnoxious. So, like, you're not going to make friends if you just run around like, well, that guy's not one, that's for sure. Like, <laughs> don't do that. But uh, maybe you're like me, and have you ever noticed that some of the, like, kindest, most compassionate, authentic, wonderful people that you know actually don't have any faith in Jesus? A and the opposite is also true, that some of the nastiest, harshest, most condemning, abusive people that we see in our world claim to be Christians. What do we do with that? What, what do we do? Like, how do we get here to where there's either not that much difference between us or the people who say they don't know Jesus actually look a lot more like Jesus than the people who say that they do? It's this really complicated, messed up thing. And in fact, there's a quote by a pastor that I really respect named Brendan Manning. Uh, and he said this, if you're, uh, if you're around in the 90s and remember contemporary Christian music, you may have actually heard this at the beginning of a DC talk song. So that's just for all you 90s kids out there. But here's what Brendan said. He said the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out of the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. It's like drop the mic, right? I mean, tell it to me straight, Brendan. He's saying the thing that causes people to not believe in this message of Jesus, in this movement known as the church, is that we don't move with it is that people gather together and they, they maybe talk about Jesus, but we don't actually let it affect our actions and our lifestyle. And I think a part of the problem is many of us have lost our sense of vocation or of calling that God puts on his followers. And some of this comes, again, from a mixed-up view of what the end of the story really is. Because there are well-intentioned Jesus followers who have bought into the version of the story that says, this whole world's going to burn anyway, so there's really nothing for us to do. 
as if our posture as Jesus followers should just be to like wait it out until Jesus comes back and gets rid of all of it and takes us to heaven. Or at best, he comes back and fixes it all for us, right? Uh, but this posture shows up where people buy this false belief that this world's not my home, so that means it doesn't matter. But in light of the idea we've talked about these past few weeks, that we're actually called to embody God's future right here in the present, right here in this world right now, we know that that's not the case. And what I want to do with our time together today is actually to show you what it can look like for us to partner with God to create a new world, to partner with the activity that God is already up to in this world. And to do that, I want to show you a couple of metaphors that show up in Scripture that illustrate how God is moving and how we can be a part of what he's up to. And the first uh, metaphor, the first picture that's found in scripture, it's actually very appropriate for Mother's Day. Uh, it's this image that shows up in this point in time that was known as the Babylonian exile. So it was this moment in the history of God's people where God's people hadn't been doing what they were supposed to, they weren't listening to God, and God essentially allowed this nation of Babylon to come in and to capture them, to take God's people away from their land that God had promised to them, and instead enslave them in the nation of Babylon, where they were exposed to this unfamiliar culture, this unfamiliar world, and, and God's people at the time thought, okay, we're being punished by God, but maybe it'll just be quick and short, like we get the point, we messed up, now restore us, now bring us back, and so the people started pleading and started asking for God to move for God to do something new in the middle of something old. And uh, instead, God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah doesn't say, hey, this will all be over soon, guys. No, he says, hey, hunker down. Like, you're going to be in Babylon for a while. He, he says, like, raise your family here. Build gardens. Do activity that's going to take generations to see the fruit from. Hunker down and be a part of this community. And, and so the people tried to do that. And, and they continued to pray, and they continued to ask for God to move, for God to do something new. And then finally, God did speak again. And he spoke through the prophet Isaiah, and here's what he said. He says, for a long time I've kept silent. I've been quiet and held myself back, right? God's been waiting. He wasn't moving. And then he says this kind of odd metaphor. He says, but now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp, and I pant. That's kind of a crazy image for the creator of the universe to choose to identify and choose to reveal himself, saying, I am like a woman in labor, like a woman in childbirth, crying out as something new is about to be born. And it's this stunning imagery that God would choose to identify like this. And some of us, honestly, were probably kind of uncomfortable with that imagery. We're like, ooh, we're going there today. Uh, it's going to get a little worse in a second. But um, I'm not saying that God, like, is a woman or that God is a man. God kind of transcends all of that. But this language is helpful for us to get a picture of what God is up to. And so God is saying, like, He's not ashamed to use that imagery or that language to say that when I'm working on something new, it's kind of like the process of birth, right? I, I'm crying out, I'm ready to move, and something new is about to happen. And you know, sometimes people, uh, when they look at the church right now in our current cultural moment, our current context, they refer to what we're experiencing kind of like another type of exile. Now, nobody's come in and conquered us and moved us to a different land or anything like that, but the church in the West, many people feel like we're kind of in this exile because we're living in a rapidly changing culture and, and trying to make sense of it, trying to figure out, okay, what is God up to in the middle of a constantly changing world, and what does it look like for us to be faithful in the midst of it? And I love the way that theologian N.T. Wright uh, talks about our job as Jesus followers in this current cultural moment. He says, our task as image-bearing, God-loving, Christ-shaped, spirit-filled Christians following Christ and shaping our world is to announce redemption to a world that's discovered its fallenness, to announce healing to a world that's discovered its brokenness, to proclaim love and trust 
to the world that knows only exploitation, fear, and suspicion. We kind of talked about this last week, right? There's this current of the world around us. There's these routines and ruts that if we're not careful, we'll all drift into. These habits, the patterns of the world around us. And, And if we're not careful, we fall into that. But instead, the instruction that we talked about last week was that we should be transformed from the inside out. But what I hope you can see today is that transformation, it's not just meant to happen at the individual level. It's not just meant to happen inside of us, but it's actually meant to happen through us as well for the benefit of our world, for the benefit of our neighborhoods, for our communities, and for our towns. And uh, there's an author and a pastor named Michael Frost who's from Australia, and he has a very cool beard, if you were wondering. Uh, But he wrote this book um, called To Alter Your World. And if today's topic is interesting to you, I mean, it's kind of a deep dive, but it's a really fascinating read. He talks about how we actually partner with God to rebirth our communities. And what Michael Frost does is he took that metaphor from Isaiah, that idea that God is like a woman in labor waiting to bring birth to something new. And he kind of extended it to the church in our current cultural moment. And what he said is that if God is like a woman in labor waiting to deliver a new world to us, then the church is called to be the midwives to the new creation. I told you it was going to get a little less comfortable, right? Some of the guys are like, I'm not a midwife, you can't tell me. Let me explain what a midwife is first. Like, the, the picture that Michael's painting in his book is that midwives don't actually give birth to anything, right? Their job is to assist in the birth that's already happening. They show up and they create the conditions, they create the environment, they help facilitate the process of birth in a healthy way. And, and so the point that Michael's getting at in his book is that if God is birthing something new in the world, then our job as the church is to come alongside him and be a part of what he's already up to, to assist him in creating the new world, not because he needs our help, but because he invites us to participate in the work that he's up to. To put it simply, and maybe in the terms of our series, uh, to live in the future, to live in God's future, we have to actually become aware of what God is doing so that we can participate in it. Sometimes people ask the question, like, man, what is God's will for my life, or, or what does God want me to do with my life? And I think most of the time when we ask that question, we're looking for like a very clear signpost or like the audible voice from heaven that's gonna say, take the job or whatever. But more often than not, in my life, uh, and what I try to advise other people to do, is to simply look at where is God already moving and then to join in. Rather than waiting and begging for God to move in some significant way through you, what if we actually were aware of where God is moving and then chose to join in with where he's already active and already moving? In fact, there's this uh, mantra within the midwife profession where as they describe the work that a midwife does, they say that they are people who hold space for birth. And so, in other words, the midwife's job is to create the environment that's conducive for the new life to occur. And I just want you to imagine with me for a second, like, what if that was the job of the church in our community? What if that was the job of Story Church in this community, that we were the group of people who viewed it as our mandate to create space in our families, in our neighborhoods, in the city, in the broader community, that we were the people who actually created the space for the Holy Spirit to give birth to this new creation, that we were the people who set the conditions for God to move. There's countless opportunities around us for us to do this. And in fact, I was struck by this a few years back, I can remember, I was reading an article uh, in the New York Times that was uh, written by a guy named David Brooks. And David Brooks uh, is not a professing Christian, I don't actually know what he believes uh, necessarily, but he was writing about communities of faith and the impact that they could potentially have in our world. And he started talking about Jesus followers and and what kind of people that they are and that they could be. And he painted this vision, maybe unintentionally, 
of some of the work and the opportunity that I think lays right in front of us. And here's what he said. He said, those are the people, again, talking about Jesus followers, those are the people who go into underprivileged areas and form organizations to help nurture stable families. Those are the people who build community institutions and places where they're sparse. Those are the people who can help us think about how economic joblessness and spiritual poverty reinforce each other. Those are the people who converse with us about the transcendent in everyday life. And it just stood out to me that like, this guy, again, not a pastor, not a church leader, but just a journalist, is looking at the state of our world and he's saying, hey, those people have opportunity in front of them to make a difference in this world. There are very real problems, but there's also very real opportunity for people, in our view, in our perspective, right, people who embody the living God, the spirit of the living God on the move. There's opportunity for us to have this incredible impact in our world. And here's maybe a convicting thought that I had this week. Looking at the church and some of the activity that we've been up to for the past decades, if not longer, I I think the church has spent more energy and activity developing a moral code that we really can't fully prove and that most of us, let's be honest, all of us fail to live up to, no matter how hard we try, we've put more energy into that than we have put energy into simply knowing and loving our neighbors. You know that thing that Jesus told us to do? to know and to love our neighbors the way that he first loved us. And as I was thinking about that and just kind of feeling like, oh my gosh, like maybe we're missing something here. I I was just struck by this question, like what if we became the people who were known for solving the real problems of our real neighbors, right? What, What if we became known as the people who know our world around us enough to care, enough to meet people where they're at and enough to help them be a part of what God is up to? What if we were the midwives to the new creation? Right? What if we set the groundwork for God to move? Well, this isn't just a question that we're asking today, but it's a question that the church has wrestled with in all kinds of different cultural contexts throughout generations. And in fact, the Apostle Paul used a different metaphor to describe how we can participate in the activity of God in a letter that he wrote uh, to Jesus followers in the region of Philippi in the first century. And here's what he said. He instructed them, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So he starts out saying, like, he's a good leader. He's saying, hey, follow me as I try and follow Jesus. Like, look at my example, and and I'll try and model it for you, and you can follow along the way as we figure this whole thing out together. And then he brings the bad news. He said, for, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies to the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. He's not talking about outsiders of the church when he talks about that. He's saying what we said earlier, that there are people, even in the first century, who profess Jesus with their lips, but when you look at the fruit of their lives, it looks nothing like him. And he's saying, man, they're they're distracted by it. And instead, he uses this metaphor to describe how we're actually called to live. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. He says this image, or he paints this picture that we are citizens of heaven. And this is another one of those word pictures that sometimes gets twisted. It sometimes gets applied in a way that doesn't actually make sense to what Paul was saying because sometimes people make the assumption, okay, I'm a citizen of heaven, that means all this nonsense down here shouldn't matter to me. (laughs) 
right? I'm a citizen of heaven, so my job is to just wait until Jesus brings me home and like delivers me from all this evil that's happening around me. And sometimes it can cause us to disengage with the world around us, but that's not what Paul was getting at at all. Paul was talking to these Jesus followers living in the Roman Empire and saying, hey, you're not a citizen of Rome first. You're a citizen of heaven first. And, and citizens of Rome in that day, they were called to embody the values of Rome. They were called to practice the practices of Rome. In fact, Rome was a colonizing nation, this empire that was constantly expanding. And so what they would do is they would go into these new regions, conquer them, and say, hey, you're now a citizen of Rome. So lucky you, you get to live like a Roman, which includes paying taxes to Caesar and all that other fun stuff. And in that context, Paul's saying, no, you're a citizen of heaven. So where you live right now, you embody the values of heaven. And rather than our citizenship being in heaven, meaning that we like wait until we get away to heaven, it means that we're supposed to bring heaven here to earth in our current context. And, and it's the same reason, if you remember from week one, it's the same reason that Paul calls us Christ's ambassadors. It, it's again rooted in his Roman empire context. Because when he says that we're Christ's ambassadors, if you remember, Paul says that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, that the old is gone and something new has come. And then he says this phrase, that we are Christ's ambassadors and God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. When he says that, when he uses that language, he's actually referring to a common thing that happened in the Roman Empire. Because when a new nation or a new region was conquered by Rome, Rome would send an ambassador, somebody who represented the values and the power of Rome to show up and say, hey, you're all Romans now right? Look at me. This is what it looks like to be a Roman. This is what it looks like for me to bring the presence and the rule and the authority of Rome in your colony, in your region. In fact, there's all these really crazy parallels about how the Roman Empire spread and how the gospel spread at the same time. But like, you may not know this, the Empire of Rome actually had their own gospel that they shared as they conquered these colonies. They called it the Pax Romana or the Peace of Rome. And they would show up, but the Peace of Rome was a violent peace. It was a peace that said, hey, you've been conquered, so now you're at peace with Rome, right? We took you over, so now you get to be one of us. And in the midst of that, as these ambassadors go out and announce this different kind of kingdom, there were these ambassadors of Christ who were moving into these colonies at the same time. And they weren't offering the Pax Romana, they were offering the peace of Christ, which was this humble peace, this servant-oriented peace, this different way of being in the world. And that's what spread like wildfire throughout the first century, and that's the reason that we're still gathered here today. It's because people understood they were citizens of heaven. They were Christ's ambassadors, and in their local context, they chose to live out a different way of being in the world. Eugene Peterson, who's an author and pastor, uh, reflected on this dynamic and kind of put it in the context of our world right now when he wrote this. He said, the Holy Spirit formed the church to be a colony of heaven in the country of death. That's beautiful poetic language, right? That we're meant to be this colony of heaven, Christ's ambassadors bringing heaven to this earth in the midst of the death and the destruction that we see around us. And let me like bring this to the ground floor for us today. Like if you're a Jesus follower and you're living here in Peru, Indiana, you feel like this is where God wants you to live, then your job is to help create a colony of heaven right here and right now. That your job and my job is to be Christ's ambassadors and to create this space where the values of God's kingdom are lived out in our neighborhoods in our community, right, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools. And, and here's the thing, that doesn't happen through cultural dominance. That's the way of Rome. And that's the way that we've tried for maybe 50 plus years at least. 
where we try and like use the power of this world to try and influence this world. That's not what Jesus said. Rather, it happens through cultural creation. It happens when we show and we model a different way, in a better way, when we are marked by love, right? There's that great song written in the 60s that they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. That was Jesus' idea. That was actually Jesus' mandate to us, not the song, but the principle, that we should be known for our love, for the way that we live. And so here's the thing. I know we're talking about these lofty big ideas, and maybe you're like, dude, it's Mother's Day. I didn't sign up to be an ambassador of anything today. <laughs> like, I'm just trying to keep mom happy or whatever. I get it, and I know like, we're talking up here, but I think it's really important for us to get this because it impacts the way that we live our lives. And there's some really practical ways that we can live this out that we can join God in the work that he's doing in this community and in our world. And, and I think that happens kind of in two categories. There's like the big issues of the world, the big causes of the world, and then there's our everyday lives. But when it comes to like the big stuff of the world, the big problems that we see and we hear about, man, we live in a moment where there's more opportunity for us to be informed of the problems of this world than ever, right? The 24-hour news cycle, it doesn't stop. And if you, maybe you're like me and you just kind of feel it all when you're watching it, it's like, this is depressing. Right? It, can, it can wear you down. You feel like, oh my gosh, there's so many problems. Like, How could I possibly do anything? But the flip side of that is, for every problem that you know, there's an opportunity for a solution. Right? We have this awareness of so much brokenness in the world, but that means we have the opportunity to do something about it, to engage in it. And I mean, we're going to talk over the next couple of weeks about technology and how we can relate to it in a healthy way. That's our next series. But we have like a mixed bag relationship, I think, with technology. But the good stuff of it is there's more opportunity to learn about people doing good work in the world than there ever has been before. There are more organizations that have formed and communities who are trying to make a difference in this world. And so here's what I would challenge you to do. On kind of the large scale level, I would love for you as a Jesus follower to find a cause, to find a, an issue that really resonates with you and then to do something about it, to, to be a part of it, to join in with it. Because I believe wholeheartedly that that is one of the ways that God wants to move in this world. He wants to move through Jesus followers who have passion about certain things in this world. And he wired all of us differently. Right? All of us have different passions, different gifts, different abilities, but so many of us just sit on them. Right? So many of us just sit on them once in like an hour a week on a Sunday. And maybe it's like, man, this is exciting. Like I want to be a part of what God's doing. And then I want to get lunch. And then I want to go back to work. And then I just leave all that potential sitting in the seat. Right? Like, like it felt good at that moment and then we don't do anything with it. But Man, uh, here's what I want you to get. One of my favorite verses uh, and the picture that it paints is Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 10, where the Apostle Paul writes, and he says that we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And, and I don't know if it's because I'm kind of an artsy guy that I like this language, but that idea that you're a masterpiece means that like, God intentionally created and is recreating you. That, that those like good things that are in you, those little personality ticks that make you you, God put that there. Other translations of this say that we're God's workmanship. And you picture like God just working on us over time to make us more into ourselves. But the other half of the verse is really important for us to grasp too. That that's not just for your benefit, right? That's not just about you and God and, and, and the relationship that you two can have, but you've been created and new in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he's planned for us. See, all of that goodness that God put in you isn't just meant for you. It's meant for you to do something with it. It's meant for you to be a part of the recreation of this world and your gifts and your passion and even your story, right? the things that you've experienced. I believe that God has that in you for a reason and that he wants to redeem it and he wants to use it in the lives of other people that you encounter along the way. 
there's another uh, time, actually later in this same letter, where Paul writes about this, and he says it in this way. He says, a prisoner for a Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And to be honest, when I heard this as a kid, it kind of felt like a threat, right? Like, here's the standard, buddy, live up to it. Live a life worthy of your calling. But I wonder if we heard that in a different way today, if it might actually unlock us to the potential that God wants us to live out. Like, what if you heard the call from your heavenly father today that says, hey, I want you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. I want you to live out the calling I gave you. You don't need to be like Eric with the microphone and the future jokes and whatever. Like, like don't be like that. Be you. I put gifts and talents and abilities and passions in you for you to live them out, for you to do the good things that I planned for you to do long ago. But it takes you stepping out. It takes you stepping up. It takes you exercising those gifts and putting them into play and getting them out of the seat and out into the community. And, and that's why we do what we do here. I, I don't know if you think about this the way that I think about it, but like this right now, if this feels like church to you, this isn't really it. This is kind of like the launching point for church to go happen. And, and like, I hope that this is engaging for you. I'm really glad that you're here. It's a lot worse without you, I promise. I've done that before too. <laughs> but, but the point is that you would get filled up, that you would get reminded of who you are, so that then you would go out into the community and live out who God made you to be for the benefit of the people around you. That you could be this taste of heaven in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your family. And, and so here's the point that I'm getting at. You do have a calling on your life. God wants to do something in you and do something through you. I believe that's true for every single person in this room, no matter where you're at in your story, no matter what stage of life, no matter what you've been through, no matter what stuff you struggle with. I believe God wants to use every single person in this room, but it's up to us to try it out, to figure it out. And honestly, it can take a lifetime to figure it out. I love the way that Fred Frederick Beekner uh, wrote about this. And in fact, I've thought of this quote multiple times in my own life when I've tried to discern and figure out if this is the right thing for me to be engage in, whether it's a ministry or a different opportunity. Frederick Buechner said that the place that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. In other words, all that stuff that God put in you, the passion, the ability, your deep gladness, the things that bring you joy, it, it should meet and it has the potential to meet with this deep need in our world, deep cause that, that you could leverage your gifts and your abilities to do something about. And that, my friends, is one way that you can actually join God in creating the new creation, in building the kingdom here and now with him when you put your gifts into play. So what I would love for you, kind of at that high level, is for you to, to be active in your faith, not just reading the Bible, praying, and, and privately worshiping, but publicly engaging in the problems of the world and trying to bring solutions, trying to bring the presence and the power of God to bear on those things that you're passionate about. And again, every single one of us can do this, and every single one of us is called to do it. But then there's also the personal level, right? And, and maybe for you today, like, whoa, man, finding a cause today feels as big as being an ambassador today. This is like, everybody can do this one. And, and again, I think everybody's called to do this one. And, and for us, that means living out these values of Jesus in our everyday lives. There's a pastor named uh, Dave Ferguson who went through and uh, he actually studied the life of Jesus and he looked for what he called missional practices. In other words, these things that Jesus did as he walked this earth that kept him on mission for God. And he came up with five things. If you've been with us for a few years, you've heard these things before, but I think it's a good refresher for us to remember, and it's still true. These five things Dave Ferguson uh, wrapped up in this acronym that he called BLESS. And they're five simple practices that anybody can do to try and live on mission with God and for God. And so I'm gonna run through those five things really quickly. And maybe for you, this is your next step today. It's to try and practice these things. 
The B in bless is to begin with prayer. And Dave Ferguson talks about the idea of starting every day asking God to give you a divine appointment. Somebody who who you bump into, somebody uh, maybe at work, or or somebody who's been there all along that you just haven't been mindful of, that God wants to use you in some way to reach or to influence or to connect with. Like, what if you started doing that this next week? Seven days, you just started your day and you prayed, God, set up a divine appointment for me today. Let me bump into somebody that, that I can talk to, that I can influence, that I can connect with, that I can somehow support along the way. I think you'd be surprised at how much God loves to answer that prayer. And I think you'd be surprised at how when you begin with prayer like that, God actually changes the way that you see the world around you. Just like I'm seeing the future everywhere right now because we're talking about the future. When you focus your mind on the mission of God, you'll see it happening all around you. You'll see opportunities to engage all around you. The second part of bless, the L, is to listen. And man, Jesus followers are so bad at this because I think we think we're answer people. <laughs> so like, we like want to come in and be like, I know what to do or I know what to say. But I think it could be such a powerful witness to the heart of God if we learn to be people who listen to the people and to the places around us. If we listened to the needs of our community rather than assuming that we know. What if we like actually paid attention to what was going on and, and then tried to respond accordingly? But what if we led with listening along the way? The third part of bless is my favorite part because it's eat. And the E that stands for eating uh, just highlights the way that Jesus, when he walked this earth, he tended to have meals with people, and often it was around a dinner table that these transformational conversations happened. And isn't that true? That when you get with good people and you have good food in front of you, it can just kind of go a level deeper than it happens just on those surface level engagements. Maybe one of the most spiritual things you could do in the next month or two is to set up a dinner with some people that you want to connect with, that you want to have a deeper relationship with, and just regularly meet with them over a meal and see what God does through your conversation. Uh, I've seen this play out over the past year because some friends of mine, uh, which they're all like church leaders, these aren't people that I'm trying to influence or reach or anything like that, uh, but they showed up to my house every week for a game night. And uh, sometimes we play a game, sometimes we don't. We always eat, right? We get that part, right? Uh, But I've been amazed just over the past year, the consistency every week as we gather together, how much deeper those relationships have gone, how much more we know about each other just because we've put this into practice. We put it on our calendars and we stick to it. So what if for you, as we head into the summer, that was a way that you actually joined God in building his kingdom right here and right now, is you had a barbecue, right? And you invited some people over and you just connected and you just loved on them and you let God lead wherever it may lead to. I mean, think about that. Look at the number of people in this room. Imagine we all connected with one person through doing this one time over the summer. It would be incredible what God could do through it. And all it takes is our willingness to set it up. So the E is eat. Uh, The S is to serve. We've already kind of talked about that with engaging uh, in a cause or something that we want to connect to, but we serve others and serve with others to bring hope to hopeless situations. And and here at the church, like, we're working on establishing some partner relationships where we can set up times and opportunities for you to serve and use your giftedness. But here's the other thing I would say. Don't wait for us, right? Don't wait for the church to organize the serving day to go serve. You have gifts, you have connections, you have abilities, and just go do it. Just go do it. Go make an impact in this world. And finally, uh, the last S of bless is to share your story. This is right up our alley as a church, right? It's in our name. But, but sharing your story can be one of the greatest gifts that you have. It can be one of the greatest missional tools that you have to help influence other people. And often it's one of our best kept secrets. Right? The things that we've been through, the struggles that we've had, the victories and celebrations that we've had where we've seen God show up, Most of us keep that stuff to ourselves, but if we share our stories of how God is changing our lives, 
then we actually can invite other people to find their place in God's story too. These are five practices that all seem pretty simple. They all seem pretty doable. It's just up to us to do them and to make them a priority. So here's the point today. God wants to bring something new into our world. God is actively rebuilding this world back into his image, back into the goodness that he initially put into it. And we have the opportunity, those of us who follow Jesus, to join him in that good work. And it starts with letting go of our past, practicing and receiving forgiveness, then being transformed from the inside out, but also going out into our world and embodying the values of God here and now, the kingdom of God here and now by being part of the solution to very real problems. And here's what I want you to think about today. It's that you don't know what hangs in the balance of your willingness to get involved. You don't know what hangs in the balance of your willingness to say yes to God and step out in some way. But more importantly, you don't know who hangs in the balance of your willingness to say yes to God, of your willingness to to have that barbecue this summer. You don't know who hangs in the balance of your willingness to step out and do that. And, And the stakes are so high, and I can tell you that because you all hung in the balance for me of my yes to continuing to lead this church. I mean, I've had plenty of opportunities to opt out over the past few years. <laughs> it's like every time we replant it, I'm like, me again? Okay, like, <laughs> here we go. And I'm so glad that I said yes, because I believe wholeheartedly that every person here today is packed full of redemptive potential, that you very well may be the people that God wants to use to reach this community. In fact, there's nobody else around that he wants to use. <laughs> it's up to us, a- and it hinges on us saying yes to God being willing to step out, maybe be a little uncomfortable, maybe do some of that self-exploration and figure out how he's wired us or what opportunities are around us. But everybody has permission to play and all of us are invited to help bring God's future into the present and to be that colony of heaven right here in Peru, Indiana. So let me pray for you to that end. God, this uh, topic, again, it can feel like way up in the clouds, but I think practically it's right in front of us all the time. And so, God, I just pray that you would give us eyes to see the opportunities that are all around us, the people that we can connect with, the needs and and the broken situations and circumstances around us that we could bring solutions to, that we could at least help with. God, help us to see those things and then help us to have the courage to do something about them. God, let Story Church be this colony of heaven in the middle of Peru, Indiana, where, where people look at us and they're like, man, I don't believe what those people believe, but I love the way that they are. I love the good that they do in this world. And in that way, let us give them a taste of what you're up to and and invite them to be a part of it as well. God, for the person in the room today who maybe is fired up by this, they're like, man, I do have potential. I do have something to offer, but they don't know where to begin. Give them clarity around their next step and then give them the courage to take it. And, And God, let us help one another do this well. Let us help one another discover our giftedness and find those opportunities to live it out. And God, we do all of this in response to who you are and how you're moving in and through our lives. We pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.